So uh, Jeremiah is in the midst of this prophecy. We're at chapter 5, and he has this problem as a minister of the Lord where people aren't listening to him. And uh, you know, as much as his message is directly from the mind and the mouth of God, uh, the, the people of the nation and the, even the people of the religion are rejecting him and not following what he has to say. So here this message comes from the Lord, and it's to Jeremiah, but it, as a result is to the people. So there's this sort of communication that goes on here where the Lord says to the prophet, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know, seek in her open places if you can find a man. If there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. So, you know, in this, you're going to hear it a couple times where the Lord is bringing an accusation, but in it there's a plea. He, you know, is, his character is constantly exposed. You, you see the Lord and the things that he says and the things that he does. And if you just watch, you don't have to search for it hard. See, he, he's saying right here, I'll pardon. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. It's always present. You know, there's a condemnation in it. Because he's going to talk about how he already knows uh, that Jeremiah is not going to find anybody. Jeremiah is not going to find anybody that's doing this. But but his heart is exposed, and I want to pardon. The problem is there's no one that's seeking that. No one's seeking my forgiveness. No one's seeking, uh, you know, the Lord, my will, justice. They're they're all about their own sinfulness. So you know, go to the open places. You know the market, the 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 park. You know, go go to the public. You know, uh, you know, and see if amongst the population you're going to find anyone who does what the Lord is asking. You know, to seek the truth. And I will pardon her. I just uh, spending some time yesterday with my pastor. Um, he and I were talking about uh, this whole issue of truth and our culture's departure. From it, and I, I don't, you know, I'm not approaching that from the idea of, you know, the whole of our culture is liars. I mean, it is, but but this issue of you know, everybody acting like, oh, you can't know truth, like it's 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 not really. They act like it's not really a thing. There is no truth. You know, you got your truth, I got my truth. You know, like there isn't an absolute in the circumstances. The attitude of the culture, you know, there's no judgment. There can't be because they've rejected truth. You know, Pilate is asking Jesus the same question. You know, he says, what is truth? He's, he's talking to truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, and Pilate's acting like, what is truth? When you reject God, you reject truth. So, so you either become of that class who has the mindset that there is no truth, or you embrace the idea that there is truth, it is knowable, and I must find, discover it, and live by it. So, so this isn't like, you know, people talk like, oh, relativism is, you know, it's a modern philosophy. It's not. 
This is as ancient as all of creation. Uh, this is essentially what Lucifer is saying when he looks at God and says, I'm going to exalt myself above your throne. You're looking at truth. You've been created by that being, and you're now going to say, uh, someday I'm going to be better than you. That's a rejection, wholesale rejection of truth. Our culture is reaping that harvest. Reject truth, the existence of truth, and you know we come to this place where there's no sound judgment. Though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. Now that was a common statement amongst uh, the Israelites. You know, we say, as the Lord lives, in a, in a slightly different tone. Uh, they said it, uh, you know, to to say a thing was absolutely true. You know, this just happened as the Lord lives, you know, as much as it was an honesty is what they're saying. You know, our culture has adopted a similar thing. It's it's a little different. We say things like, God bless, praise the Lord. You know, the good Lord knows my heart. You, you hear these things in our culture, and most people don't mean it at all. They, they have no connection to that whatsoever. Yeah, the good Lord knows our heart. That's right. That's why he inspired the prophet to tell us that our heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. You know, the, the implication is when people say the good Lord knows my heart, meaning I'm as honest as the day is long and God knows that about me. No, God knows your deceitfulness, your corruptness. You know, it's a similar attitude in as the Lord lives, the good Lord knows my heart. Praise the Lord. Now, how many times have you heard people say, usually they're saying it in response to us, right? We'll say, well, praise God. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. They'll say it too. Hallelujah. You know, they'll say these religious things and they don't have any any submission to God in their life. That That is the condemnation that the Lord has for them. There's no judgment, you know, no one, no real execution of judgment. They've rejected truth, even though God wants to pardon them. And they've got all of these, you know, religious statements that they use when their heart's full of corruption. 5 verse 3 says, Oh Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. I, I always think about, you know, when I'm reading the prophets, ever since 9-11, yeah, I, I, uh, it was just such a remarkable thing, you know. Everybody's standing around going, "Is this the judgment of God?" You know, because if you say it is, three thousand plus people died, you know, in that process. And so, oh, did God hate them? Did God? No, it is the judgment of God. It was the judgment of God. Innocent people, perhaps, even died in that. Why? Because we've rejected God as a nation. And this is the sort of thing that transpires when you do. He's going to talk about that specifically by the time you get to the end of the chapter. That because of their rejection of him, they're now suffering the consequences. You know, so you know, for people to be acting like, oh, you know, is this actually God that's striking us? Is this actually God's judgment? Is this actually the hand of God? Yes, is the answer. Why? Because God would be protecting us. If, if we were still embracing him as our master nationally. So, uh, you know, oh Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You know whether I'm going to find anybody out in the public squares who's, you know, executing judgment and seeking your truth. So I don't have to go see. Your eyes are on that truth. You have stricken them, 
but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. That idea of the determination they put on. You know, God is bringing his correction, and rather than it softening their heart and causing them to want to get right with God, they become more determined and more resilient in the sinful direction that they're going. So uh, supportive uh, verses to think about. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. You know, teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Those that are following the Lord, you can even rebuke them, which we'll talk about in a moment, and they'll take that. Uh, you know, years ago, began to embrace the idea that in every pound of criticism, there's an ounce of truth. So you have to listen when when people are saying terrible things and you know attacking and doing whatever they do against you. You got to listen to what's being said and find in it. Oh, see, that's true about me. That that is my conduct. I I need to take this correction, enjoying the fact that you're being corrected, you're being taught, you, you give instruction to the wise man, he's going to be wiser still as a result of it. He's going to know how much of it is just fleshly junk that he can disregard and throw away and how much of it is some element of truth that he needs to embrace and incorporate into his person. Uh, you know, another verse along these same lines, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. He who hates correction is stupid. I love the bluntness of that. I love the use of the word stupid in that. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. You know, it's always, you know, we, we call some things, there are legitimate learning disorders. A lot of what's called learning disorder is rebellion. Literally. Just that they don't want to think about it that way. They don't want to take instruction that way. You know, they'll say, I learn differently. Yeah, right. On the hard end of a stick. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, the, the rebel isn't going to learn any other way. He, he or she can't take instruction, can't take criticism. You know, the, the wisest thing we can do is recognize, you know, think about that, you guys. <clears throat> Here's Jesus, right, in, in Matthew and you know, he's just beginning that public ministry. You know, he's already been announced to the world and John the Baptist, and he's just starting to, having taught, uh, you know, Sermon on the Mount, and come down and the miracles, heals the leper, and he, he begins the process in that. And you, right away, here comes the centurion that says, I've got a servant very sick. And, you know, he's saying, basically, can you heal my servant? And Jesus says, oh, I'm on the way. Let's go. Let's go to your house. And the centurion is just stops. You know, he says, "You know, it's it's not right that you come to my house." The real explanation is, "I'm a Gentile. My home, my home is unclean. Ceremonially, in regard to being a, a Jew, it, it would be improper for you to come." And then he he shifts right over to, "I understand authority. I can see in your life. I can see in your behavior that you have an absolute authority. I'm a man who's under authority." I have to submit to the leadership. I have to do the things. I have to be corrected. At times, I have to be rebuked 
and apply those things to my life. And you say the word, and because of your authority, this is going to happen. Jesus stops everybody and says, you've got to pay attention to this right here. I've not seen greater faith than this in all of Israel. A, a, a man who understands correction, discipline, authority, guidance. Now, there's an attitude, especially amongst Americans, of rebellion and admiring it. Like, this is a quality, you know? Nobody tells me what to do. I think for myself. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to be instructed in anything. You know, here we're learning, we're hearing that the wisest amongst us are going to be the ones that can take that right in, invite it, want correction, are willing to completely change course. This is the way I was going to do a thing, you know, and, and somebody's given me authority and I know how to do this, but here comes somebody who, who actually has some wisdom and knowledge. I'm not talking about just somebody who's a know-it-all, but they come along and say, hey, I need you to consider doing that a different, okay. And you're able to take the correction and change course and do something better. Yeah, it, it, the person who always has that mentality, like, no, I know what I'm doing. I will not be corrected. I'm not going to receive this. That's going to lead to ruin. Uh, that, that person, as you know, it's saying right there, but he who hates correction is stupid. Uh, I, I can tell you, as a pastor, I've seen this a lot on both sides. You know, I, I, I've, I've been that person and, and had to let the Lord purge that out of my life. I've also had to deal with a lot of people who don't want instruction. They, 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 they do not want anyone to tell them how to do things. Here, the Lord is saying in Jeremiah, you know, they refuse to receive correction. They've made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return, to come back to me, to uh, you know, allow for them to uh, learn from the Lord. Therefore, I said, surely these are poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord. That's a, a significant uh, phrase there, the way of the Lord. The judgment of their God. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord. The judgment of their God. Now he's holding this in contrast to the idea that there's a whole bunch of people within the culture, you know, that are quick to say, as the Lord lives, they're very religious. They've got all of these phrases. They, they know how to behave, uh, you know, in conversation like Christians. But he's saying, you know, as far as the practical function, they don't know the way of the Lord. They, they know the phrases, they know the language, they know the things to say, but they don't actually know the way of the Lord. To me, that's kind of New Testament interesting because that's how Christianity was known. In the beginning, it was known, almost for the first 100 years, it was known as the way. I want to be careful. Uh, there is an organization known as the Way International, and you could avoid that at all costs. Victor Paul Weirwald is the founder. It, it is a cult. Uh, you know, they'll be very offended if you tell them that. Uh, you can tell them your pastor, Wilcast, said so. Uh, like that matters. They've been around for a very long time, uh, but it is not Christian. They've just robbed that title 
from Christianity, and they use the Bible and they manipulate things. They don't believe the same things we do. You know, it's going to sound like it when you talk to them, Jesus, you know, all these different things they're going to say and do, but I'm telling you, it is a cult and you shouldn't have anything to do with it. And, and it's very obscure and you just have these moments where periodically it sort of has a resurgence for a little while and now everybody's interested in the way and go into these home Bible studies and then it fades off. Uh, the way uh, was the way you would live as a follower of Jesus Christ. So uh, they began to refer to being a Christian as the way. Uh, you know, when Paul is on trial and he's you know, going before uh, the Jewish and the, the Roman leaders, uh, they make reference to the way, and he responds in kind about the way. Here's an Old Testament setting where it's very specifically talking the same language of, you know, this is action. This isn't conversation. This is not head knowledge. You know, the relationship with the Lord should result in behavior, you know, a way of living. I'll go to the people that should know, right? The great men amongst us, you know, the leaders in our culture, the priests, surely they know the way. You know, you know it, Jeremiah, if I, if I can't get anybody else to come to church, surely the men who the Lord has blessed in our culture, surely you know, the priests who have been involved in the acts of worship, they know the way of the Lord, so they'll come and be involved. You know, they know the judgment of God. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. Unfortunately, verse 5 continues by saying, but these have all together broken the yoke and burst the bonds you know they the the idea of you know what they bore upon themselves you know the the, the uh, religion and the law and following the lord uh, they've cast that off they they've viewed it like a restraining thing they've viewed it like a burdensome labor and so they've broken off their yoke and gotten rid of the things the Lord would have used to make them productive and useful. They burst the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest shall slay them. A wolf of the desert shall destroy them. A leopard will, cat, excuse me, will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their backslidings have increased. Now, for discussion, um, there are a couple of different uh, beliefs about this. I sort of take the second belief. The first one is that Jeremiah is speaking specifically of nations like Daniel did in chapter 7. He had this vision beginning in verse 1 where it says Daniel had a dream and a vision, and then in verse 4, uh, of this beast, speaking of a nation, was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And a second uh, beast was like a bear. You know, another in verse six, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And then in, in verse seven, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. And it goes on with the description from there, specifically referring to nations. Uh, the difficulty is uh, that at this time with Jeremiah, there's no specific nations that he he gives us the insight to. Daniel 
gives us the vision and then we get some insight into who those nations are and how they're going to conduct themselves. Uh, here, uh, it would seem more literally he's talking about the wild beasts of uh, the mountains and the desert and the surrounding regions that would literally you know, attack them. You might want to turn with me quickly to Second Kings chapter 17. There are a few verses here beginning in verse 25, uh, where the Lord talks about specific uh, animal uh, attacks that are occurring. And it's because um, the invading nation had this practice of uh, they would vacate a whole country. They would take all of the slaves that they had conquered and captured, and they would remove them, and they would transport them to another location and put them in a population uh, that they didn't know anything about. So, you know, if if they were to conquer America, they might ship us all to China. So that now we're in China, we don't know the culture, we don't know the language, it's very difficult for us to communicate. So for us to try and rebel and form a group that could then work against, uh, you know, the local government and the conquering nation uh, would be very difficult. So uh, as far as being a conquering nation, it was a pretty clever plan to diminish how those nations could function that they had conquered. And so now you've got this group inside Israel. Israel's been conquered and taken away captive and, you know, they've transplanted another nation there and they're inside the country and these animal attacks begin. And so look at 2 Kings 17, verse 25, and it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions amongst them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. This is actually part of how the Samaritan people came into existence, and it's a big part of why the nation of Israel rejected Samaria so strongly. They're not actually of the Israeli people. They end up living in Samaria, and they end up being taught by the priests, and they end up adopting the methods of worship that Israel conducted themselves in. But they're not, you know, there were some Jews that intermarried with them and produced the nation of what became known as Samaria, but they're foreign blood and mixed blood. And this is actually part of the process of how they came into existence. Literally, that as the nation is falling into, this is God's promised land, right? We remember that, Israel. It's not, you know, it's not Israel's land. It's God's land. And he's letting these people live in it. He's blessing them, and he's giving them all of this abundance. As they begin to reject him, God is just lifting his hand off from the nation. He's just lifting his protective cover off from them. They're pushing it away. We don't want you. We don't want you as our God. I mean, they say it in the temple. They go through the rituals. They leave 
the temple and the rituals, and then they just go out and worship other gods. You know, the scripture actually records that they they worshipped Jehovah, God the Father, but then they served the false gods. Right? That's quite a commentary on our own nation. Those that worship God in speech and you know thought, but but they're actually serving physically other gods. You know, chiefly mammon, money, possessions, materialism. You know, that's that's where a lot of our nation and Christianity within our nation is hung up. And, and as a result, God just says, I'm not even going to control nature. We're going to let these wild animals go berserk. And I just reading, I don't know if you saw the article uh, about, uh, you know, a group of men, one guy in particular that he tackled a dog that was uh, attacking two children, uh, a toddler who had her infant brother with her and this guy held the dog down and with his knife cut the the shirt of the child out of the dog's mouth in order to get the children away he got bit other people got bit you know it, you know it's it's come up uh, several times you know, animal attacks and bears are going berserk and what what's going on there's more to come this nation continues to re reject god you're going to see more and more Things like that that just leave people wondering, why? What is happening? We're removing God's protective cover from ourselves. You know, kick God out of school. No more Bible, no more prayer. 1963, from 1963 to 1973, 500% increase in violent crime in America. And everybody's standing around going, how did that happen? <laughs> you know. There are people that attend this church that are old enough to remember when they would arrive at school and they would read from the scripture, usually the Psalms, and then they would pray, say the Pledge of Allegiance, and then start their day. You know, we're a long way away from that, right? Now they're passing through the metal detectors. You know, there's an armed officer roaming the hallways, right? You know, they're doing SWAT drills to make sure they can get to the school premises you know, as quickly as they can in order to take care of active shooters. I mean, it, this is crazy where we're headed. It, what's more ludicrous to me is the fact that everybody is standing around going, now why is this happening? R really, you have to ask that question. We've rejected, you know, even if you just want to say you're, you're not a Christian, you don't believe, we've rejected the Judeo-Christian ethic within our culture. You know, even if you're not, if you're a total atheist, I mean, just look how good, you know, just the moral compass is of, you know, Judeo-Christianity. You know, flush that down the toilet and let's just watch as everything unravels around us. So, you know, could be, could be other nations that he's referring to. My personal conviction is that he's literally talking of how, you know, you're even going to see wild animals attacking your people and your culture because of your rejection of me. Uh, 5 verse 7, how shall I pardon you for this? Now listen, uh, you know, you put the emphasis in the wrong place on this and you come up with a different question. I, I like to hold to how gracious God is, how merciful he is, how forgiving he is. That's his mindset, right? That was... A big lesson for Jonah. Hated the Assyrians, wanted to see him die. You know, he's up on the hillside just waiting for the fire to fall 
on these people that he's warned. You know, you got 40 days and God's going to kill you all. And then he goes up on the mountainside to watch God kill them all. And, you know, as he's discovering God is going to be gracious, he's angry, he's mad. And God, you know, puts the question before, hey, you know, there's more than 100,000 children in that city that don't know their left hand from their right hand. They're so young. We're just going to kill them? You know, I want these people to repent. I want to forgive them. So when in verse 7 it says, how shall I pardon you for this? It isn't a matter of how am I going to pardon you for this? I don't think. I think it's more, how could I? How could we work this out? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're hearing what uh, you know Isaiah is saying. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, we, we could make them white as snow. How, how can I pardon you? T tell me. Tell me how we could work it out. How can I deliver to you forgiveness? Uh, if you can hear that here, I hope you hear it in your own heart and mind. I hope you understand the acceptance of God. I hope you understand his grace just flooding out toward you, washing your past away, washing your present away. Yeah. Bend your knee, bow your heart, turn your face toward him, ask for forgiveness, and you'll get all of it. He wants to. He wants to be gracious and kind, and you know, this benevolent God of forgiveness. So how shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods. <laughs> by the power of Baal, by the power of mammon, by the, you know, they're making these oaths by the foreign gods that they've begun to embrace. When I had fed them to the full, I'm the one that provided for them. I'm the one that gave to them. Yeah. These other gods, they're fiction. They're not even real. And and they're taking oaths and making vows based upon them by the power of Zeus. It's just foolishness. It's the land of make pretend. You know, in reality, God is the one who has protected and provided for and given them their full. And now they've gone after these make pretend gods. Then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops. You know, it, they formed ranks in order to go into the harlots' houses. And, and that's both, literally speaking, of the prostitution and the sexual perversion that had become rampant in the land. It's also speaking of how their idolatrous practices of going after false gods was like adultery in their relationship with God. So spiritually and morally they have you know assembled themselves together to go after these religious prostitution opportunities and even physically within uh, you know the sexual realm of perversion they've done the same thing they were like well-fed lusty stallions everyone uh, neighed after his neighbor's wife you become animalistic in your sexual drive, he's saying. You, you had no restraint whatsoever. You know, uh, some person walks by and incites, you know, some kind of feverish sexual response, and they have no restraint whatsoever. They just follow after that desire, destroying their homes and their families in the process. I just... 
heard a statistic tonight, and you, and you have to kind of follow it out the whole way. Um, <clears throat> less than 15% of children in America are living in their home, being raised by a mother where the father is, their, their father is the sole provider for that family. And you go, well, I mean, you know, it's a modern age and women work. No, 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 no. It's much bigger than that. Okay. Less than 15% function in a home that's like that because divorce has separated the families and women are in pursuit of careers to the degree where now we've got this very small fraction of young people who are being raised in what we might call a traditional home. Uh, our culture, you know, if someone chooses to not, you know, both mother and father work, uh, that's a, a different scenario. I'm literally talking about family is so destroyed, right? We hear, oh, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's much bigger than that. It's much bigger in the fact that you literally have children who, you know, there's only 15% that are experiencing what you know it was originally designed by God in order to be the family home. They don't know what that is. It's no wonder that our culture is so dramatically off course in every way. You know how you're raised tends to be how you function within your own marriage, at least to some degree. You know, so so you know some of us hear that and we're like, oh my goodness, you're kidding me. You know, we're thinking about how they were. You know, we were raised. The, the whole of the culture described here. Religious destruction and deterioration has resulted in an idolatry, which is resulting in an adultery, which is destroying all of the homes. It's an astonishing thing that happens when you reject God. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? These are my people. I'd love to pardon them. That's how he begins that section. How could, how could we work it out to get forgiveness into this picture? Uh, but now that I describe it to you like this animalistic lust of just being like some creature rather than a human being that was created in the image of God, uh, how in the world can I forgive that? You know, without repentance, without the people turning away from that sin. God is saying it's not possible. Uh, 5 verse 12. Um, uh, did I skip? Yeah, okay, so verse 10. Go up on her walls and destroy, but do not make a complete end. Take away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. Um, so, now this image of the plant uh, starts with the walls and says, you know, I'm going to destroy them as a people as far as their protective barrier and as a city, but not utter destruction. I want to destroy that which is sinful. He leaves the remnant uh, so that uh, he can then rebuild from there. Take away her branches. Um, you know, that's the offspring and the development of a plant. You know, as far as, you know, the natural course of family, children, homes, they become animalistic. So now if we talk to them you know, about them like 
uh, a tree or you know, a plant that has branches, uh, the branches that are on them are not my branches. It's not a natural thing. So we got to get rid of those. Those have to be cut off. Even the way they've grown and developed and, you know, spread out, it's not of the Lord. They become very, very treacherous, and uh, says the Lord. 5 verse 12, they have lied about the Lord and said, uh, it is not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see a sword or famine. Back to what I was saying, is this the judgment of God? You know, 9-11, oh, it wasn't the Lord. I wasn't Lord that did that. You hear people to this day insisting upon that. It absolutely was the Lord. Uh, and again, I'll go back to the issue. People are like, how can you say that my uncle was in the Twin Towers and he perished in the incident? I'm not saying your uncle was evil. I don't know your I don't know your relative. I don't know those people. I, I can say for a certainty that because this nation has turned its back on God, we're experiencing the vengeance of our hateful neighbors. Uh, Islam is something we need to be protected from. If you haven't noticed, it's invading and taking over. Now, I, even saying that, I'm sure I'm going to get emails where people are like, you are such a hate-filled blah, 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 on and on. No, not in the slightest. You know, Islam itself, the word means submission. They want to bring the whole world into submission to Islam. Anybody that studied Islam, Sharia law, knows that is the worst idea possible. Uh, oh, they're so dedicated. They're, look at look at how religious they are. Look at look at how devout they are in their prayers daily. I mean, we were just having a conversation the other night, you know, talking about this issue of lust and animalistic approach. The reason the women wear burqas in their culture is because they're not allowed to expose their flesh to a man because it might incite within him lust. So, you know, if a woman in that culture, God help her, actually, you know, mistakenly even pulls up her burqa and exposes the flesh of her leg, and now that man's filled with lust, attacks her, maybe even rapes her, she, he's not responsible. She exposed her flesh to him. Jesus tells us that the sin is in the heart, right? <clears throat> he doesn't say it's in the act. You know, when a man rapes a woman, when a man commits adultery with a woman, the act, yeah, that's its own sin. But he says if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you, you've already committed adultery, and you're worthy of the punishment of hell. You know, you don't have to murder somebody. If you just have hatred in your heart, for another human being, you've already murdered them in your heart. Jesus puts the gravity of sin at a much higher level. The control of the mind, right? Isn't this what Paul is telling us? You know, the warfare that we're engaged in, it's not of this world. It's not of the flesh. It's not of earthly things. It's spiritual. And it's in the mind, right? Because our weapons are not of the flesh, not of this world, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, and taking every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is a, a war for the mind, is what's going on in this whole process. You know, this, this whole approach that they're taking in rejecting God 
is destroying their thought process, destroying what is produced by that. You know, the, the tree, the branches, everything's corrupt. God is saying, I'm going to have to, you know, prune this thing right back down to, to you know, a straight post and let it grow back because, because it's all corrupt. There isn't anything within it that, that's useful in the process. Go to the walls, you know, destroy. Don't make a complete destruction. You've got to have that remnant. Take away your branches. For the knot of the Lord, for the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. They have lied about the Lord and said, It is not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets became wind. For the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. The, the pastors have become nothing but hot air. Why? Because the word is not in them. You know, I, I mean, I recently had somebody come to me and say, you know, you build this church, you know, you really need to consider making some big changes because this this verse by verse thing you Calvary Chapel guys are doing, that's old. You, you need to you need to look at what the church new churches are doing and, and really start following that example. No, we don't. No, we are not. I mean, somebody else wants to do that, that's their business altogether. Uh, what I know the Lord is calling it's this isn't just mechanical following Chuck Smith and what's happened before us in the decades. You know, that have passed, this is a matter of I know and understand the foundational element of what our faith is. It's founded in the Word of God. God Himself is the Word. Nobody gets that. I mean, why is the world confused? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Why why would we want to take the Word out of our mouth? I don't need this anymore. Let's, let's do the new hip things. We need to just turn this place into a Starbucks. That would really draw people in. What we need is the word. You know, if it comes down to the few of us just gathered around the campfire reading the book every chance we get, then so be it. Because it's exactly the way it should. They've become nothing but hot air. Wind, for the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. How about this verse, you guys? 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 18, speaking of the false teachers, Peter warned us, when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. <laughs> I love that description. Great swelling words of emptiness. It starts out, you think there's going to be some substance to it. Great swelling words of nothing. Just hot air, useless, not doing a thing for you. Great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Think about that. Peter is saying the false teachers, they're there to scoop up the people who have come into Christianity. Really need to take that to heart. That, that's what the false teachers do. They don't go out into the world and look for the ones that are lost and try to bring them into the kingdom. They're inside the church just trying to divert the people off. They, most of them don't even realize that. They're so corrupt themselves that they're just you know, damming up the opportunity. And so there's just a few people that are coming around them 
And then to everybody that stays in their influence, there's this conflict. Like, why aren't you over here with us? Because that teacher who's diverting you all off is false. Well, there's a much larger group of us over here than you few over there. Yeah, but we're the ones that are on the narrow path, that are following the words of Jesus Christ. We're not going to you know, find ourselves consumed in great swelling experiences of emptiness. It needs to be the fountain. We have experiences. We have wonderful, you know, emotional Things that occur, but it's grounded in the Word of God. It's grounded in you know what He has to say and teach to us. So back in Jeremiah chapter 5, looking at verse 14, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, Because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Oh, think about that, you guys. You know, preaching the word, having a fervorance for it. And, you know, people have literally said, oh, that just burns me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the way that that person talks or preaches, it just, you know, why is it got to be all hellfire and brimstone? It just, the word of God in our mouth will be like that to those who are rejecting God's word. It will consume them and burn them up because you speak His this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire and His people wood and it shall devour them. Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. You're going to turn around at the mall and there's going to be a large group of people and you're not going to understand anything that's being said. Right in your midst, you're going to be surrounded by foreigners. This isn't some kind of, what do they call it, xenophobia. You know, It isn't some you know, anti-immigration message. It's a matter of we as a people following the Lord are losing our national identity which was grounded in Jesus Christ. We're being eroded. It has nothing to do with immigration. It has nothing to do with Mexico. It has nothing to do with Islam. It has to do with the fact that the people's heart have turned away from Jesus Christ. These are the, the inevitable results where, where you know the foreign nations are conquering uh, those that previously worshipped the Lord. It's going to happen. I can tell you right now, it's going to happen. Yeah. Their quiver is like an open tomb. They are all mighty men. Uh, the uh, nation that comes against them, Assyria initially, and then later Babylon, the fact that he's incorporating that in this, is, uh, you know, like unthinkable. Babylon? They're, they're like, we haven't even hardly heard of them. Oh, just wait a few years. They're going to become the world power, and they are going to be on your doorstep. And you're going to have to submit to them. They shall eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and daughters should eat. That should have been your food. Should have been your provision. Should have been your oil. 
Should have been your coal, your natural resources. Should have been yours. Should have been your steel. Should have been your product. Instead, it's become theirs. They're taking it away from you. You're losing. Why? Because you've rejected me. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. They shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword. The places of military strength, which you look to and said, well, I mean, right. They're ground troops, maybe, but if they had to go against our Navy or our Air Force, I mean, we're so superior. We're being defeated right now by the inferiority of our enemies. I don't know if you're aware of that. They don't have the technology. So they don't communicate in the ways we do. There's no electronic signature for us to lock onto and listen to. They understand how that functions. So they, they don't function according to our military at all. You know, they're, they're using old, archaic weapons and systems of communication and transportation. We're left baffled by it. You know what? They're just sending a few guys over here on freighters. You know, that show up inside our ports in our country and go and do terrible things. They're defeating us with things that we didn't even think were weapons, right? So you're just going to fly that commercial airline into that building? Right? They don't have to have the newest, latest stealth technology. We have wholesale rejected Jesus Christ as our God. And we are reaping what we have sown. It's a terrible thing. This is, it's amazing to me that this is the old, ancient prophet. And you can just take his message and transpose it right on top of us today. We're experiencing very similar things. Nevertheless, in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a complete end of you. And it will be when you say, why does the Lord our God do all these things to us? Then you shall answer them just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve aliens, you know, foreigners, in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not and who have ears and hear not. Do you not fear me? Boy, you can just stop right there and kind of preach the whole sermon, can't you? Our nation does not fear, and especially those that claim to be the house of God. The Methodist Church right now is in this great deliberation over, you know, they're going to split over, are they going to allow homosexuals to be pastors? I'm saying at this point, it's already over, because they're already living in disobedience to God's word as an organization. They have rejected the authority of God's word, and right now they're looking at it like, what does everybody want? What's the majority of our group want? There's a small group within that, like he's describing here, not utter destruction. There's a small group within it that's just in love with the Lord and just begging that they can get back to the foundational principles of what that organization was. Great move of God in the past. Incredible revival that occurred worldwide and now they're in a terrible place having rejected 
God's word. They don't fear him. They fear the people, right? What if the people will leave? If, if we hold our ground, if we stay to biblical principles, if we say God's word is the ultimate authority, we're going to have millions leave our organization. Well, that's great, right? You know, people that have cancer, they don't look at it like, oh, all of those cells used to be part of my body. And now they've become cancer. I can't get rid of those. No, you need to purge them out, kill them off. If you're going to survive, they need to have nothing to do with how your body functions. They need to be eradicated. Uh, so it is within the body of Christ. If that's the direction they're going to go, good riddance. They don't fear God, says the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence have, uh, who have placed the sand at the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it? And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not stay, excuse me, they do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God who gives us rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. The former and the latter rain, and we've talked about this last week, the first of the season, the predictable planting time is the former rain, and they harvest that crop and immediately they plant again especially in Israel, with the hopes of the second rain, the latter rain that's going to come, and it will produce a second crop. Some of them don't even uh, go through the process of planting. They just wait after harvest for the seed that's fallen to ground and the plants that are there to yield a second crop. So it's actually like free money to them. They don't have to put in any, any effort. If, if those plants that are in the ground yield a second harvest, then praise God. And literally, here the Lord is saying, I'll bless your whole process so that you'll go through that great work effort, but then I'll also give you the free harvest that comes behind that, the former and the latter rain in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. Remember how he said a moment ago, you're going to be working in foreign lands, you're going to be serving foreign peoples, yeah, we shipped all of our jobs overseas. You know, our manufacturing, our textile industry, you know, right now there's no, uh, there's no longer a, uh, an industrial um, uh, production of jeans, like you wear pants, in the United States anymore. Levi's was the last here, and they're gone. Well, you know, Shoes, right? And how many, how many uh, shoe uh, production plants were there just in the state of Maine? Right? Think about the paper, gone. Well, wh where are these people? Literally, our workers and our executives are overseas working in all these foreign locations. Our wealth, our substance, our natural resources, all gone. Gone to other nations. You say, oh, we're making the money. No, we're not. No, we're pouring it into them. And in the process, we're using our money to enslave other people. You know, those communistic nations like China, many of the workers within their factories and within their settings are prisoners. They, they, they're forced labor. You know, many Christians who are captured for their faith end up inside those work mills uh, producing product. 
because we've rejected God as a nation, this is what we're producing with our behavior. You know, everything that would have been the former reign, the latter reign, your great wealth, right? This is this is a culture, you guys, that these crops equal money. That's how it is. This is an agrarian society, and you farm and you make money. So when they're hearing the former reign, the latter reign, they're thinking bank account. You've been diminished in your wealth and your substance because you've rejected me. You know, that's why I'm so concerned right now with, oh, this economic plan and that economic plan. Look what the stock market is doing. And look, yeah, this is brilliant business planning that's being done. And it's certainly giving us a resurgent within the market. But it isn't that our nation has repented of its sin, returned to God, and now we're experiencing that wealth as a result. We're still on that same course of rejecting him. Things need to change in a big way. Uh, look at um, Jude. Uh, I was going to say chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Jude, verse 20 and 21 says, But you, behold, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's, that's where I would encourage you. To underline, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, lots of people want to do things about, oh, you know, salvation. Can you lose it? Can you gain it? Can you all these different things? Let's just do it a different way. God wants to love us. And these people have given us the example that. They've fallen into sin and they've removed themselves as a result from God's love. God doesn't love any less. God doesn't want to pardon any less, forgive any less. He's the same God he's always been. You know, when they're experiencing these things, it's what they've done. They've done this to themselves. They've created this horrible experience. Jeremiah 5 verse 26 for among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. That's a terrible thing to say of children of God. Amongst my people, there are people that behave like this. Right? We, we hear it, don't we? The next scandal occurs. And the next unthinkable act happens within the church. And then this, and then you find out this guy started out good, but now listen to the junk that he's teaching. He's veered off course. He's become wildly inaccurate. So it is that amongst us, there are people that do this. As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. And therefore, they have become great and grown rich. Well, you can just slap this sticker right on all of the televangelists, right? <laughs> through their deception and their snares and their traps, they've become rich. Uh, they have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper, health, wealth, and prosperity. The right hand of the needy they do not defend. They even lie about helping the poor and needy in order to get more donations. You know, it was uh, Benny Hinn and uh, Rodney Howard Brown. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember the Toronto Blessing in the 90s. 
Everybody was rushing up to Toronto to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was a load of, you know, hyper Pentecostal junk. And uh, in the midst of it all, Benny Hinn and and um, Rodney Howard Brown were claiming that they'd gone into the uh, biggest hospital there in Toronto and they healed everyone in the whole hospital. No joke, they made the claim. Healed everyone. Just it emptied the hospital. Just walked through and prayed over everybody. And everybody was just standing up. And it, it spread like wildfire. And people were getting up out of rooms they hadn't even been in. And checking themselves out because they were completely healed. That didn't happen at all. Not at all. They did visit that hospital. And that's it. They prayed for some people that were there and left. No one, as far as... Anyone could tell. No one was healed. Zero people were healed. And yet they had the audacity like these to lie. Just outright lie. You know, they say that they have a, you know, a concern for those that are in need. You know, they're slick. As it says right here. They're sleek. <laughs> you know, they, they, they've got a smooth approach. Wow, don't they look polished? I mean, you look at their television shows. I can tell you from looking at their television shows that the set they're filming on is, you know, a couple million dollars, literally. You know, each of the cameras that they're running, you know, is probably more than anybody's annual income in this room. One camera. Uh, this is the crowd. This is who they are. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, I saw... A group of them years ago, they had a fifteen million dollar, a fifteen million dollar production truck, so eighteen wheeler, and and they had a two million dollar satellite uplink truck that just pointed the signal at the satellite and shot their broadcast up the satellite in order to get it all around the world. Oh, they're slick. They got the money. They know what they're doing, and they lie like a rug. Isn't that how we used to say that? They're full of it. Um, grown fat, they're sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper at the right of the needy. They do not defend. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Oh, surely he will. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so but what will you do in the end what are you going to do when you stand in front of god oh we cast out demons in your name right isn't isn't that what they're going to cry depart from me i never knew you right you know, I'll go to the great men, we heard the prophet say right in this chapter. The priests, surely, they know the way of the Lord. They don't know the way of the Lord. Why? Because they don't know the Lord. They talk, talk, talk about how they know the Lord. They do not know the Lord. Uh, I've, I've had that experience a couple times where people act like, oh, yeah, I know such and such a person. And then as you talk to them, you realize they do not know this person. They just want me to think that they do. They don't know who they are. They don't know anything about them. They can talk all day. They've had plenty of exposure about who that person is, but they don't actually know this person. So it is with God. 
Come into church. Read his book. Listen to his children pray. Learn all the conversation pieces. Now I know all the phrases. Do, all, do you know Jesus Christ personally? Do you know him? I can say I know him. Why? Because I've rebelled against him enough to where he's throttled me until I know who he is. Now I have this deep, intimate relationship with him. Not because I'm awesome. Because he's awesome. Because he's incredible. He's so gracious, so kind, so merciful, so patient. Human beings. You know, in particular, talking about those televangelists. I know we're at time here, but just one more comment you know recently listening to televangelists going on about oh you know back in the day it was just such a great revival right up until i tried to hire a prostitute and my whole ministry went right in the toilet oh but before that the move of the lord no not the move of the lord was not you you were a brilliant speaker you communicated very well you did uh, read this again the priests rule by their own power the preachers preach by their own abilities it's not the holy spirit for many of them for most of them it's not the holy spirit at all it's marketing They've learned, right, from Fifth Avenue. Do we even say that anymore? You know, They've learned from Amazon, you know, or however we want to say that. They've learned how to market. That's all it is. It's marketing. Where's the power of God? You go to the churches where the power of God is there, you're going to find a small group of people who love the Lord. And the Holy Spirit's working in their life. And the words that are in their mouth burn everybody else. <laughs> Burns to the core. I love Jeremiah. I love him because if you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to find yourself alone. You're going to. You're going to lose friends, those that claim to be friends. You're going to find that you're just, listen, I, I didn't understand this until a number of years ago. A, a dear sister who had been delivered from heroin was trying to help another woman. And she asked my wife and I to get involved. So we get involved. And in the midst of it, it's very clear. This woman's a heroin addict also. And she needs to go into the residential discipleship program. And we said to our friend and sister who had previously been delivered from heroin you know like we should offer to like take her kids and her kids can just live with us and stay with us and then she could go to the program and she said she'll never do that and we were like why why and she said you don't understand you're having your family intact and you're having your life together condemns her to her that 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 sounds like you're a failure and, and you are. So just living the life that's obedient to Christ is an incredible condemnation to the people around us that are not. That are not. It needs to be that we're more like Jeremiah every day. Why? 
you see what's happening here. These people are going to get swept away in the captivity and the destruction and uh, the invasion that's coming. And the same thing's going to happen here. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's exactly going to transpire. But you can guarantee the destruction these people are experiencing, this nation's going to experience if it doesn't repent and turn its heart back to God. Make sense? Well, we'll pick up at chapter 6 next week. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, I thank you again for your word. What a gracious gift. Lord, help us. Fill us this evening again, anew, afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't need a deep emotional experience. I've been pretty fiery in my presentation tonight. We don't need to take that exuberance and generate some kind of human response. We, we need a simple Holy Spirit strength-filled life that would be capable of following you. One of the simple steps, the daily waking up in the morning and being with you, being in your word and praying, letting that guide our day, looking back at the morning and remembering what you've said to us, writing it down, sharing it with others, living it out. Help us to be those simple people that are close to you, know you very well, that are obedient to you. Work in us. Use us in our environment, community, school, job, wherever we are. Use us as your surgical instrument, your kindling fire, your spokesperson. And we would see your kingdom expand. Expand in strength, expand in numbers. I want to see your will be done in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.